And uh, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Grace here at the 10 o'clock service. I'm going to start this morning by apologizing. I know it's a good way to start a message. Um, but uh, I have been fighting some kind of sinus thing all week, and so uh, my voice is, I've been struggling with my voice all morning, so I just apologize in advance if uh, my voice sounds a little uh, stranger than usual. At times, I might sound like James Earl Jones, and if that's the case, you should probably be thanking me, and that's, uh, that's good stuff. But anyway, um, I've just been fighting that. I promise I don't have Ebola or anything, just a sinus thing, and um, so it, I feel fine. I just sound weird. That's about it. So... Uh, we are, uh, like Clark said, concluding a series that we started seven weeks ago. We've been calling Far From Normal. And if you've been with us, you probably remember we've been spending eight weeks going through the book of Acts. And so some of you have been here for the whole series, or maybe you've been here for part of the series. We've been seeing, man, what an amazing book uh, the book of Acts has been as we've kind of journeyed through this um, together. Today we are closing that series out. So I would say if you're a guest with us this morning, like Clark said, thanks for being here. We're glad you're able to jump in today. We hope you uh, feel welcome and get a chance to get that gift that he mentioned at the Welcome Center. But because you are jumping in at the end of a series, um, if at any point today we say anything that's interesting to you and you'd like to go check out the rest of the series, you can do that online for free um, at our website, graceohio.org. You can either watch those videos or you can subscribe to the podcast and kind of check that out there if you want to. But basically, just to catch you up, we've been saying that the, the big idea of the book of Acts is really this, that the Holy Spirit makes the extraordinary ordinary. We've been saying that's the big idea in the book of Acts. The entire book of Acts, if you look at it, it's really all about, if you were to boil it down, it's really about the Holy Spirit. It's about uh, what does the life of a person look like? What does the life of a church look like that is led by, that is empowered by, the Holy Spirit. There's over 50 explicit references to the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts. And so we've been saying in the series, we know that the Holy Spirit conversation can be a strange one, especially if you're a person that uh, didn't grow up around the church, or even if you did grow up in the church, the Holy, the Holy Spirit can seem like a, a kind of a strange thing. And so we've been talking about that throughout the past weeks, but we've been saying the Holy Spirit makes the extraordinary ordinary. In other words, when the Holy Spirit enters a person's life, he redefines normal. And he makes the extraordinary ordinary. And so each week, we've been looking at different ways that the Holy Spirit does that, what, what the work of the Holy Spirit looks like in the life of a person. And so today, we're going to continue in that series. We're going to conclude by looking at an interesting uh, aspect of the way the Holy Spirit works. And I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles with me. We're going to go to Acts chapter 25 and 26 today to kind of conclude this, Acts 25 and 26. We're going to be looking at just a brief part of 25 and then mostly chapter 26. You're going to find that on page 779. So if you didn't bring a Bible of your own this morning and you need one, we have some for you. You can grab those in the chairs in front of you. Um, turn to page 779 in those black Bibles. And as always, if you're a guest, you don't have a Bible or if you, don't, you just don't own one or you don't have a newer translation of the Bible, just take one of ours, make it a gift from us to you. I think it's really important that you have a Bible, but you can get there, page 779. And as you're flipping there, let me just tell you where we're going to go, okay? Um, we've been talking about the different ways that the Holy Spirit works, the different ways that the Holy Spirit redefines normal. And today what we're going to look at is this, that the Holy Spirit, that one of the, one of the normal works of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. So we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus, and we've been talking about a lot, of, a lot of different ways the Holy Spirit works. We've talked about how the, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. We kind of talked about that last week. We've talked about how the Holy Spirit uh, plays a key part in turning our hearts to the gospel. Today, we're going to talk about the idea that the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. Now, we're going to see that in this passage we're going to look at implicitly. 
Um, but this is something that you see explicitly in other parts of the Bible. So let me give you an example. In John chapter 15, we see one of the most explicit places where we see this idea that the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. Let me just read it for you. I'll put it on the PowerPoint and just read it for you. This is what Jesus says. He says, when the advocate comes, which by the way, the advocate, that means the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, who I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So here's Jesus. He says, one of the things the Holy Spirit's gonna do, the work of the Spirit, is he's gonna testify about me, about Jesus. And then he says to his disciples in verse 27, you also must testify. I want you to testify too, for you have been with me from the beginning. So here's what Jesus essentially tells his disciples, those who follow him. He says, I want you to testify about me. And for those of us who are followers of Christ in this room, and I know that's not everyone, but the Bible tells us that as his disciples, we are to testify about Jesus. And the Bible says that as we do that, the Holy Spirit himself will also testify about Christ. That's an interesting concept. You're like, what does that look like? How does the Holy Spirit testify? How does that work exactly? Well, the word testify is, uh, some of you know, it's a legal word, right? And it just, it simply means to bear witness to something. It means to add validity to something. It means to give an accurate account that convinces. So, so think about the courtroom setting again. If you have a witness, right, someone who sits in the witness stand and they testify, they give a testimony about something they've seen, what is that doing? It's convincing the jury of what's true, right? And the Bible says the Holy Spirit does this. This is part of the work of the Holy Spirit is he testifies, he convinces, he, um, he adds validity to, he strengthens the truth about Jesus, affirms the truth about Jesus in our hearts. Now, once again, I know that sounds like an interesting concept, so let me, let me maybe just kind of give you an example of how this works. Probably the, probably the best example, at least that I can speak of authoritatively, is my own experience. And, uh, and maybe some of you, maybe you can relate to this, but I remember very distinctly when I came to know Christ. Now, some of you, if you've been here for a while, you might know my story a little bit. I uh, started following Jesus at late in my teen years. I was about 17 when I came to know Christ. And I remember I was invited to go uh, to an event. There was an event I was invited to go to, kind of a youth thing. Um, and at this event, there was a man who was teaching out of the Bible. And I, I, st I still remember this so vividly. And I even grew, I kind of grew up going to church a little bit. And it never made sense to me. But I remember this one day I got up and there was a guy teaching from the Bible. And specifically, he was teaching out of the book of Daniel. I, I just so remember this so vividly. And as he was teaching this passage of scripture, Something very unique was happening inside of me. And I don't know how to explain this real well, but some of you know what I'm talking about. It was almost as if um, someone was explaining something that I never heard before. And uh, my, I was filled with a certainty. There was, um, the best way I can put it is that there was a, uh, like a, dr a draw. Like I almost felt like it was like a, a tractor beam, you know, just like sucked me in. And I was, and, and, and there was like this very, very loud thing in my conscience that was just shouting, this is true, this is true. What this guy is saying is true. And, um, and I was filled with this, with, I, I, the best way to put it is I felt like I was confronted with reality. And I remember thinking to myself, I, I, am, I, I have to make a decision. Either I'm going to embrace this and I'm gonna live according to this or I'm gonna walk away from this and deny this. Now, that's the choice that I felt like I was confronted with that day. Now, what, what was that thing, that pull? 
What was that certainty? What was that? Now, my guess is, is that if you're a follower of Jesus, and I know that there's many of us today here who follow Jesus, that when I describe that, um, that, that maybe you wouldn't say it the same way or maybe you'd use different words, but my guess is that you can probably identify with what I'm talking about. That for you, there was a time when, when it was like something happened or someone explained the message of Jesus and something just clicked. It's like the coin dropped. It's like your heart was open. It was like the, all of a sudden the lights turned on and everything that seemed so disjointed all of a sudden came together. And it was like, wow, I see it now for the first time. My eyes are open. And, and there was a certainty that you felt inside of you. And my guess is if you're a follower of Jesus, something to that effect, you can probably sympathize with that. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus... If you're a person who's still investigating Christ, and I know that there's some of you who are here this morning, you're still investigating Jesus. You're not sure if you buy into the whole Jesus thing. and You're not sure if you like the whole Jesus thing and all that kind of stuff. But my guess is that even you probably can sympathize with this or can identify with this to some extent. Some of you who have been investigating Jesus, you've been coming here for a few weeks now, right? And, and you're like, I don't know why it is. But for some reason, when we open this book, and we start talking about the stuff that's in this book. Something's happening, man. And I can't, I can't, I don't know if I believe it. I don't know if I buy into it. But it's almost like what we're talking about is real, is true. And it's like there's this thing inside of me that's just like, this is true. This is true. This is true. And you might be thinking, I listen to you talk. And I mean, your voice sounds weird. And you're not that funny. And I'll, I'll give it to you. You're very attractive. But aside from all of those things, like there's, there's, I don't understand what it is. There's just something about this book, and I can't explain it to you. What is that? What is that thing? I hope it's to put words to that for you. That's the Holy Spirit. Jesus talks about that. He says the Spirit's going to come. He's going to testify. Okay? He's going to affirm to you. He's going he's to nag you inside to say this is right and this is true. Now, now, here's the real question. Now, if you can identify with that to any extent, and my, I'm trying to put words to something that's very hard to put words to. The Bible uses some different words. So in Acts chapter 2, some of you might remember when uh, the Bible says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And as he preached, the Bible said that the people who, who were listening were cut to the heart. That's the way it says it. It says they were cut to the quick in some translations. In Acts chapter 17, the Bible says about this girl Lydia, when the apostle Paul was preaching, that the Lord opened her heart. And what is that talking about? It's all, I'm just, it's all those are different words trying to explain the same phenomenon. That phenomenon, I believe, is common to the human experience. What is that? What is that? It's the Spirit of God. And he's testifying about Jesus. And he's pointing the arrow in your heart saying, you need to, you need to come to Christ. You need, to follow this, you need to follow this Jesus. He's affirming it to be true. Now, here's the real question then. When that happens in your heart, and some of you are like, dude, you just totally explained something I couldn't identify for. Yeah, when that happens in your heart, what are you supposed to do? That's the real question. How are we to respond? And the passage we're gonna look at today, I believe that there's really three responses. There's three responses that you can choose when the Holy Spirit works in your heart in this way. Three responses, and here they are. You can either oppose him, you can oppose him, you can avoid him, or you can embrace him. Okay, those are the three we're going to look at today. And of course, I'm a preacher, right? So you, 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 could just, you guessed it. I'm going to try to convince you that embracing him is the best reality. It's the best possible of all of the three responses. And let's just talk through those a little bit. So let's go to our passage, 
Acts 25 and 26. Let me give you a little bit of brief history before we jump into this. So basically, here's what we see. Um, By the time we get to Acts chapter 25, we're told that the apostle Paul is in prison again. And I don't know if you guys have noticed, but for the past few sermons in in uh, in this Acts series, we find the disciples in prison often. And so here's the apostle Paul. He's in prison again. And uh, by the time we find him in Acts chapter 25, we're told that he's been in prison for two years at a place called Caesarea. And uh, he's been in prison there for two years. He was convicted because of some accusations that were put against him because of his belief in Jesus Christ. So there he is, he's in prison. And the Bible tells us that he's underneath the authority or he's uh, his underneath the, the supervision of a governor by the name of Festus. Tell me that's not a good name, Festus. I've never met, I've done a lot of baby dedications. I have yet to dedicate a little Festus. And there's probably a good reason for that. It sounds like a disease or something. So yeah, Festus. So Festus, the Bible tells us, he's in a little bit of a predicament, right? Because he doesn't really see anything wrong with the Apostle Paul. He doesn't see any reason why he should be in prison. Yet the Jews want to kill him. And so he's torn. He doesn't know what to do. So the Bible says he calls in for some additional support, kind of a second opinion about Paul's situation. And so he calls King Agrippa II, who at this time would have been a vassal king, meant that he was the king who oversaw uh, the Jewish people during that time. And so he calls in for King Agrippa to kind of hear Paul's scenario So King Agrippa, the Bible tells us that he comes with his wife and they come together to hear from the Apostle Paul. And that's where we're going to pick it up. I want to start Acts 25, starting in verse 23. It says, the next day, Agrippa, he's the king, right? King Agrippa II, and Bernice, who at this time would have been his wife, Agrippa and Bernice, came with great pomp. Isn't that a great word? Great pomp. What does the word pomp mean? It is, uh, you think about the word pompous. That's the idea. It's, it means to come with elaborate, grandiose. That's what it means, right? It's this idea that they went out of their way to really make a public spectacle of themselves. This is like a red carpet, like photo opportunity type of thing. And so imagine, here's King Agrippa, right? He's the king. So he's probably got on, you know, he's probably got on his crown. He's probably got on his robes. He's probably got on his jewelry. I mean, he has just got this thing. And he comes in with great pomp. So I'm guessing there's music, all this stuff. Then you have the queen, right? And oh yeah, the queen. She's, she's probably got her gown on. She's probably got all the royal jewelry on. It's probably this. So, so get this picture in your mind. They are like G'd up from the feet up. And they come in this red carpet event. Notice who's with them. Look at this. It says they came in with great pomp and they entered the audience room, which that would have been the place where they would have heard from the apostle Paul, kind of like the trial room, who was with them. It says with the high-ranking military officers, So here you have highly decorated soldiers in the military who are coming with them. And also with them were the prominent men of the city. So this is like the, this is the who's who of the ancient world. And they are all coming in together with great pomp, right? And so the music is playing. There's this, it's just, it's just this elaborate red carpet, $1,500 plate dinner event. Everything is awesome. It's this unbelievable kind of picture. I just want you to get that in your mind. The Bible says that the who's who of the ancient world is all there. And then the Bible tells us in this very, the very last part of verse 23, it says that the command of Festus, then Paul was brought in. And so I just want you to imagine the difference between the entrance of Agrippa 
and Bernice, and then the Apostle Paul. So Agrippa and Bernice come in. They have this incredible entourage. It's this incredibly pompous thing. They sit down. Everyone cheers. There's a photo opportunity. It's the red carpet, the whole thing. And then the Bible says Paul comes out. Now, remember, Paul's been in prison for two years. So imagine what he looks like. Imagine what he smells like. Right? And he comes in, the Bible, we're going to find out, in, cha- in chains. Chained up. He comes out. So you have these two very different crowds here. You've got this incredibly noble, um, royal, put together, has the whole road at their fingertips crowd. And then you've got Paul in, in prison for two years in chains. And the Bible tells us that this is a snare. And I don't know about you. I just want to get that in your mind because I, I would just imagine if I was the Apostle Paul that I would be very intimidated to walk into that room. And he walks in, and let me just summarize for you what happens for time's sake. Basically, he, he goes in there, and um, King Agrippa basically says to him, all right, Paul, let's hear, let's hear your case. And so the Apostle Paul goes into this really, really great speech, and he basically says to King Agrippa, King Agrippa, the reason that I'm in prison is because I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, is what he says. That's why I'm here in prison today. And then the Apostle Paul begins to tell King Agrippa his story. He begins to talk about what happened to him. And I want you to notice what he says in verse 9. He says, of chapter 26, he says, I too, at one time, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That's what I did. And that's what I did in Jerusalem on the authority of the chief priests. I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. So the Apostle Paul comes in to Agrippa. He says, Agrippa, at one time I grew up, and some of you might know the Apostle Paul's testimony He said, I grew up in a very religious background. Paul was a Pharisee of all Pharisees. He was of the strictest adherence. He was more self-disciplined. He rose to the top of his religion. And the Bible says that when he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time, that his natural reaction was not to embrace it. It was to oppose it. Paul went to every length possible to kill the name of Jesus Christ out of, the, out of the ancient world. He tried to silence the name of Jesus. And so he persecuted Christians. The Bible says that he would even try to get them to blaspheme the name of Christ, which meant that he would have tortured them to the point of trying to get them to deny the name of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, that's the way I was. When I heard the message of Jesus, I didn't embrace it wholeheartedly. Instead, I rejected it outright. I opposed it with every fiber in my being. Listen, we're talking about this idea that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is that he wants to testify about Jesus. I believe there's three responses. When we feel, when we hear the message of Jesus and when we feel the Holy Spirit turning our hearts to Jesus, and one of them is like the Apostle Paul before he was the Apostle Paul when he was known as Saul. For some of us, our natural reaction when we feel that is to oppose it. We just oppose the Holy Spirit's work in our life. Now, my guess is, that if you're a person of this persuasion, you're probably not in this room. Because people who are against Jesus that adamantly typically don't go to church on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, especially when the Browns are playing. They won't do it, right? But, but here, here's the other thing. I'm also not naive enough to believe that everyone that's in here this morning wants to be here or desires to be here. For some of you this morning, you're here because your parents drug you out, right? Right? 
I remember that. When I was a kid, my parents, they used to coerce me with Krispy Kreme donuts. It's totally worth it. Because it's a holy thing, a Krispy Kreme donut. But it's, for some of you, your, your, your husband or your wife drug you out here. For some of you, you're simply here because someone t- you're just trying to be polite to somebody. And you came, but you're, you're just... But the, tru- the truth is this. The truth is that in your heart, whenever you hear the message of Jesus taught to you, and you feel God working in your heart, your natural reaction is to put your fist in the air and say no. No, I will not. I will. For some of you, you are doing, right now, you are doing everything in your effort to silence the name of Christ in your heart and in your life. Everything in your effort. And, and I don't want to perceive that I know all the reasons for that, but I think that there are many reasons for that. For some of you, maybe it's because you grew up in a, ba- a religious background, and maybe some of the stuff that you saw done in the name of religion, in the name of Jesus, so put you off. For some of you, you were hurt. Maybe for you, your ex-wife or your ex-husband or your ex-girlfriend or your ex-boyfriend or your ex-something was a Christian and they completely defamed the name of Jesus. You want nothing to do with it now. And for whatever reason, you're, you, the, the disposition of your heart is that whenever you feel like God is trying to get your attention, you're like, stop it. No, I will do everything to silence the name of Jesus in my heart. And my, for some of you, maybe the reason that that's happening is because you've experienced true, and I mean, I'm not trying to minimize it, like real pain, real pain. And, and pain that's so severe that it causes you to believe that there cannot, I will not believe in a God who would allow this type of pain. And, and so when the Holy Spirit begins working in your heart, like the Apostle Paul, before he was Paul, when he was Saul, your natural reaction is to oppose him. No. No. And, and listen, here, here's the thing about that, all right? I believe, and I don't know all of the reasons why a person's heart might do that, and that might be some of you in this room today. Maybe that was you before you came to know Jesus like Saul. But I believe that if that's you, you're gonna find yourself very, very tired. It, we're gonna see in this passage that when, when Jesus finally shows up to Paul, you know what he tells him? He says, Paul, why are you kicking against the goads, man? Which is just an awesome thing to say, isn't it? Why are you kicking against the goads? That was a, a metaphor that was used back in that culture. That culture, A goad was basically like, a, imagine a big sharp spear. And a shepherd would use this thing to kind of like prod the sheep in the direction he wanted them to go. Because the sheep, you guys all know, right? Sheep are really stupid animals and they'll just follow whatever. They'll, they'll walk right off a cliff if you let them. And so a shepherd would take the goad and be like, no, that way go this way. They would use goads with uh, their oxen to help guide them and lead them. And basically, uh, it was used as a metaphor back in that time that meant you are fighting a losing battle. And so Jesus shows up to Paul in this passage and he says to Paul, Paul, you're fighting a losing battle. You are trying everything in your effort to try to oppose me, but you can't do it. I'm gonna, eventually, I'm gonna come to you. I'm gonna transform you. For some of us, the first response that we have when the Holy Spirit comes and works in our heart is that we oppose him. Watch this next thing that happens. The next thing that happens, the Bible tells us, is that Paul goes on, and for time's sake, once again, I really encourage you to read this full passage um, this week. I wish we had more time to go through it, but basically, the Apostle Paul goes on to tell Agrippa about how he comes to know Jesus. He's like, I was completely opposed. Then Jesus showed up, changed my life totally, forgave my sins, commissioned me to go and tell other people about him. 
And then look at verse 19. He says, so then, King Agrippa, so then. Notice how direct he is. He's got a whole room of people and he's talking right to King Agrippa. So then, Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus and then in those in Jerusalem and all Judea and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. This is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and I testify to small and great alike. I, I, say, I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets of Moses um, said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and, the first, and be the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. So in essence, what he says there is he says, um, Agrippa, the reason I'm in prison is because of the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he's the Messiah who has come, sent by God to forgive of sins. That's why I'm in prison. That's why I'm here. And I have not been disobedient to tell people the truth about Jesus, just as I'm telling you guys right now. Watch this next thing, verse 24. At this point, Festus interrupted. So there's Festus, the guy with the great name. He interrupted Paul's defense. He said, Paul, you're out of your mind, man. He shouted, your great learning is driving you insane. I love that. This is, this is kind of like an offhanded compliment. He's like, Paul, you're really smart, man, but you're like too smart for your own good. You guys ever meet someone like that? They're so smart, they, like, they get isolated. They're like really, really smart. They get isolated and then they come out and they have a theory of why we're gonna be attacked by aliens like in 20 years or something like that. Just like, he's like, Paul, you're, you're, get, you're, you're spending way too much time in the books. You're like sniffing airplane glue or something, man. You need to get out and get some fresh air or something. You know, you're crazy. And I love Paul's response. Look at the way Paul responds in verse 25. He says, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. Isn't that awesome? How respectful. I'm not crazy, most excellent Festus. All right, I'm not crazy, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true, and it's reasonable. He's like, this isn't, this isn't folklore. This isn't fantastical stuff. This is true. This is reasonable. What I am telling you I can give a defense for. And then he says in verse 26, the, and then I, look, look what he does. Once again, so Festus interrupts him. Paul goes right back to talking to King Agrippa again. Verse, verse 26, the king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of these things have escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. Now here's what Paul means. He looks at Agrippa and he says, king, you know what I'm talking about. Because, and this is just a little history for us, King Agrippa would have been alive during all of the events of Jesus Christ. He would have lived in the area where Jesus would have lived and done his ministry. He would have been about nine years old when all that happened. And so Paul looks at Agrippa, he goes, you remember this. You know that all of this was done in public. It wasn't done in a corner. You remember Jesus. You probably actually saw Jesus. You remember all the testimonies that we heard from those who saw the resurrected Jesus. He says, Agrippa, you know this, right? And then watch this. Now he goes in for the kill. Watch what Paul does. Verse 27. King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? I know you do. Now this, all of a sudden in this one verse, something becomes very clear to us as the reader, okay? And we become very clear on the fact that the Apostle Paul is not interested in and being released from prison at all. The Apostle Paul is more interested in sharing the gospel with the people who are around him, which is mind-blowing to me. If I was in his situation, I would be like, I was falsely accused, get me out of here now. 
but he doesn't do that. Instead, the Apostle Paul uses this as an angle to share the gospel with the king. It's like, you believe in the prophets, don't you, King Agrippa? I know you do. I know you do. Man, you hear that in his voice? This is incredible. How bold is this? And not only do we as the reader see this, Agrippa can see right through it. Because look at his response, verse 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? He's like, you, wait a minute, Paul. You really think you, in prison, chained up, are going to convince me, the king, in such a short time to be a Christian? In other words, he says, Paul, are you, wait a minute, are you trying to convert me? Are you proselytizing right now? Is that, is that what you're doing? And, and I, watch Paul's response. How bold is this? Watch what he says to him. Paul replied, short time or long, I pray, that, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Whew. Wow. What a bold thing to say. Agrippa's like, are you trying to convert me? Are you sharing your faith with me, Paul? Are you trying to proselytize me? You think in such a short time I'm going to become a Christian? The Apostle Paul says, oh, yeah. And not just you, Agrippa, but everyone who can hear me. Short or long, it, the timeline doesn't matter to me. But I want you to be like I am. I want you to be free like I am. Now, this is, this is where it gets really interesting. And I want you to notice this small detail that you may have missed if you've read this before. Watch verse 30. Right away, after he says this, the king rose with him, the governor, and Bernice, and those sitting with them, and they left the room. Now, that is very important, and I'll tell you why. One of the things, all commentators agree on this point. All the commentators agree. One of the things that's really weird about this passage when you read it is that the Bible is very intentional in letting us know that the whole time King Agrippa is here, he is accompanied by this woman, Bernice. So in Acts 25, we just looked at it a minute ago, when uh, Agrippa comes and he enters with great pomp, right? Who's with him? Bernice. Bernice is right there with him, right? He sits down to hear from the Apostle Paul, and who's with him? Bernice. There she is right there with him. And we are told that after the Apostle Paul looks at King Agrippa and, and basically right to his face says to him, I want you to deal with Jesus right here, right now. The Bible tells us that he and Bernice get up and they leave in that moment. Now, why is that significant? Here's why. So historically speaking, it is well known, not just in the Bible, but, in, but to all historians, that Bernice and Agrippa had incredible power, had incredible wealth, had a lot of things on the outside that looked really good, a lot of power, a lot of prestige. But behind closed doors, they had incredible problems. We, we know this because of history. It's not just biblical history, it's history history. And so Josephus, for example, he tells us that Bernice had several husbands, several, before she finally married Herod Agrippa II. And we are told that they had some problems. And here's the, here's the craziest part of it. We are told that Bernice was not only Herod Agrippa's wife, she was also his sister. Dude, it's not Kentucky, man. You know, I'm sorry if you're from Kentucky, by the way. Not that I said that, but because you're from Kentucky. But uh, I'm, just, I'm just joking around. But, but this is like, I just want you guys to get this in your mind. This is just, it's a gross situation. And, and we're told, historians tell us that this would have been the gossip of this day. 
People would have talked about Bernice and Agrippa. They would have been on the tabloid. This would have been an embarrassing thing for these people. So get this. They come in with great pomp. Right? They have, on the outside, they look awesome. On the inside, they are a mess. And the Apostle Paul looks at them, I mean, with incredible boldness, incredible boldness. And he says to them, you guys, I was a, I was a mess. I was a wreck. And then Jesus forgave me, forgave me of my sins. And he's given me the message of, of forgiveness of sins. And he wants me to tell everyone about it. And he says, so Agrippa, I want to tell you about it too. I want you to experience forgiveness of sins. I want you to be free. Now, I'm just guessing that Bernice and Agrippa started wiggling in their chairs. They probably were like, uh, this is getting way too close to home. I think that's why Agrippa tries to deflect. Wait a minute, you think, you think you're going to make me a Christian that quick, Paul? And Paul doesn't stop. Long or short, doesn't matter to me. I hope that you can find the forgiveness that I found, Agrippa. I hope that you can find the freedom that I have found in Christ. And the Bible says they can't take it. They get up and they leave. They get up and they leave. They can't take it anymore. I, I mentioned earlier, there's different responses to the Holy Spirit when we feel him prompting us and leading us to Jesus. The first is we can oppose him. The second, I think, is this. We can avoid him. We can dodge. We can get up. So, for some of you, you've been, maybe you've been coming around here for a little bit at Grace and and you're like, I really like this church. And, and maybe, it's, uh, maybe you're like, I like, you know, the, the, I, I love being able to sing together. That's kind of fun. And I love life group. I like the relationships. It's a very friendly place. At least I hope you feel that way. I hope you're like, this place is full of jerks. I hope you think it's friendly. Like, it's a very friendly place. Some of you are like, I like to laugh every once in a while. And every once in a while you say something funny. And that's kind of cool. Or you'll tell a story that's kind of neat. But for some of you, you're like, but, but honestly, there are times that sometimes it gets too close to home. And for you, you feel the Holy Spirit working in your heart. You feel him confronting things in your heart. And you try, like Agrippa and Bernice, you try at all costs to just avoid it. And, that, and once again, that can be for many reasons. For some of you, like Herod and like, uh, like King Herod, Herod the Agrippa and like Bernice, maybe for many of you on the outside, you got everyone fooled, man. Everything looks good. You got, you got all the things, all the trappings of life that make it look like you got it all together. But if you are honest on the inside, man, you are a wreck, a disaster. And for some of you, you feel the Holy Spirit trying to pull you out, try, trying to confront you on those things and bring you into the forgiveness of sins. But for some of you, there's too much shame. And, and there's, some, there's some here today who might think, you know what, the forgiveness, that whole forgiveness thing is fine, but if you know what I did, if you know where we've been, if you know what happens in my family, you would know that we do not have ourselves put together and Jesus could never forgive us and you avoid it, you squirm under the light of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. For, for some of us, um, honestly, it's just simply because we don't want to change. We just don't want to change. And we know when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of our attention, we know that that means he's going to transform parts of our life that, quite honestly, we don't want him to transform. We want to live with the issues that we have. For some of us, honestly, it's because we're afraid of what other people would think. What's my family going to think if I start following Jesus? What's my, what are my coworkers going to think if I start following Christ? And so because of that, when we feel God working in our hearts, we avoid it. 
We don't oppose him, we just push him away. Like Agrippa and Bernice do. We can oppose him, we can avoid him. Here's what I think the best thing to do is, and I've already told you this, and you shouldn't be surprised. I think the best response is you should embrace him. Embrace him. Hebrews chapter four says this, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as they did in the rebellion. Today if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, do not avoid, do not oppose, embrace. This is what Paul did. I want you just to notice again, I love, I love the Apostle Paul's response here. I just, it's been catching me all week and I don't have words sufficient enough to explain to you how impactful this is. But I want you to look again at this. Verse 28 and 29. Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul says this. Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today will become as I am, except for these chains. Now, I don't know if you guys caught this, but there, there's, a, there's an irony in this verse, isn't there? Look at how ironic it is that here in this setting, right, the author has went out of, out of his way to tell us about these two, about these two different uh, parties. So you have Agrippa and Bernice and Festus, and you got all these other no, nobility and royalty, and here they are. And they have it all together, they have all the wealth, all the, all the power, all the prominence of the world is represented on this side of the room. On this side of the room, you have Paul, who's in prison, who's in chains. He's been there for two years. He probably stinks, right? And the Apostle Paul, here's the irony. The Apostle Paul looks at them, and he says, I don't want to be like you. I wish you were like me. And he's not saying this with arrogance. He's saying this with all the love in his heart. I wish that you were like me, except for these chains. How ironic is it that the Apostle Paul is the only one in this room who's in chains, yet he is the freest one there? How's that possible? It's because he's embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul might outwardly be in chains, might outwardly be in prison, but inwardly he is free. He is free. Because Paul understands this. Paul knows that nothing plus Jesus equals everything. Paul's like, I have everything now. I have the forgiveness of my sins. I have the hope of eternal life in Christ. I wish you guys were all like me. And you have royalty and nobility and you have all of your stuff put together, but inwardly you're still slaves. Slaves to your guilt, slaves to your sin, slaves to all. I wish you were like me, except for these chains, of course, but I would rather you be like me than me be like you. The irony of the situation is too deep. Paul knows Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and he knows that everything minus Jesus equals nothing. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? So what's the best thing you can do? The best thing you can do when the Holy Spirit is moving in your hearts is to embrace him, is to embrace him. You can oppose him, you can oppose him, you can avoid him, or you can embrace him and find freedom. Freedom in a way that maybe you've never experienced before. But for some of you this morning, as, I, as, I'm, as I'm talking about this, my hope is, if you're a person that's still investigating Jesus, if that's your heart today, and as I'm talking, if you're like, you are just out to lunch, you're the weirdest guy alive, I don't agree with anything you're saying, that's fine, all right, I'm okay with that, and that, that's completely all right. But for some of you, as I'm talking about this, you're like, I, I don't know why, but I, I know that what you're saying is true. It's true. It's true. 
And maybe for you, you've been avoiding it. Maybe for you, you've been opposing it. Maybe for you, you've been shoving it to the side. Listen, I believe that that is the Holy Spirit doing what he does. He testifies about Jesus. He points your heart to him. And I believe the very best thing you can do this morning is maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in your entire life, maybe for you for the first time for real, embrace him. Embrace it. Say, you know what? I'm done. I am done avoiding. I am done opposing. I am done justifying. I need to embrace it because God is after me because Hebrews says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. If you want to do that today, I would strongly encourage you that if God is moving in your heart in that way, that you respond to him. And you can do that real simply by simply praying to him. Pray to him. You don't have to do anything. There's not a magic prayer. You don't have to sacrifice a small animal um, or anything weird like that, right? You could just come to him, your heart to God's heart, and say, God, I want to come to you for the forgiveness of sins. It's what I need. I'm enslaved to, to my guilt. I'm enslaved to my sin. I'm enslaved to my bitterness. I'm enslaved. You fill in your blank. I want the freedom that the Apostle Paul has. It's made available to you in the person of Jesus Christ. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, responding to the Holy Spirit is not a one-time act. Now, obviously, when he leads us to Jesus, we need to listen to him, but the Bible tells us that the Christian life is being led by the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in certain ways of your life, we can continue to avoid him. And maybe for you, there's areas of your life that you need to come to God and say, God, I'm done avoiding you. I need to listen to you. I need to make some things right in my heart. And the last thing I would say is this. I love this about this passage. If you are a Christ follower, one of the cool parts that we see in, because the Holy Spirit witnesses to Christ is that you and I, as we witness about Jesus, we can be confident that the Holy Spirit is gonna do his work. We are the junior partner. He is the senior partner. And as we testify that it's not our words that make a difference, but it's the Holy Spirit that uses those words to change a person's heart. We can oppose him. We can avoid him. My hope is that we'd embrace him today. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, I want to say thank you for your word to us this morning. And um, man, God, we, we, need, we need you so bad. And um, I just, I can't get this picture out of my mind of uh, these royal noble people who have their, everything on the outside is put together, everything on the inside is wrecked. And the Apostle Paul, everything on the outside is wrecked and everything on the inside is free. God, I want to be more like Paul. I, I just, I don't want to be in chains, but I want to be free. And I pray, Jesus, this morning for the person who maybe feels your spirit working in their heart in this way. I ask you that they would not harden their hearts, that they would not oppose, that they would not avoid. God, help them to embrace it because it's true. Your Holy Spirit testifies to us that you're real, that the message of the gospel is the life-giving power of God, that the forgiveness of sins is what we need above all else, that the promise of redemption and the promise of heaven is something that we need to set our hope in. God, your Holy Spirit shouts to us that this is true, this is true, this is true. I ask you that we would shout along with it, that we would confess with our mouth what we know is true in our hearts. And um, So Father, I pray for your spirit to fall down here. I ask that your spirit would work as only he does.
we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.